Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Ro, host of The Queen Pod. Queen have very kindly allowed us to use their wonderful music on this podcast, which is awesome. But the rest is up to us, darlings. Our goal is to provide you with an entertaining and informative companion piece to the entire Queen back catalogue. All of Queen, track by track. So, if you're in a position to offer us some support, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash queenpod and take a look at how to get involved. Thanks so much, and now sit back and enjoy while we rock you. Welcome to the Queen Pod. Yeah, this special ep is on Brian May's 1992 solo album, Back to the Light. So, let me introduce my royal family of Queen Beans. She considers every portion when she's taking her precautions. It's comedian Suze Kempner. Hi, thanks. Yes, I do. You do. Very wise. She's scared of Stephen Burkoff. It's Queen documentarian Simon Lupton. (laughs) Genuinely am. Very scared. Who isn't? (laughs) Um, It's from I'm Scared. Right. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, of course. I've met he Stephen Burkoff. He says it Burkoff. twice. Is he, he scary? scary? He is scary. Uh, incredibly intense. It was in a bar in Edinburgh in the late 90s, uh, oh. and I, I stole a really nice Marlboro Light branded ashtray, and that's my memory. <laughs> I really I feel like I'm losing grip of the flow here because he's the victim <laughs> of a victim of a conspiracy. It's comedian John Robbins. Thank you very much. Yes, You're I have uh, uh, a Bill Gates chip in my mask, and I am a victim of a terrible, <laughs> terrible conspiracy. Thanks for running with that, John. I appreciate it. But every time I speak, Clippy says, are you trying to say something? <laughs> <laughs> and shake away! It's me, Ro, your host. Hello! We're all here. Isn't it lovely? Woo! So we're coming towards the end of the season, folks. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um... But before we pile into this wonderful solo album we're about to discuss and explain why we're doing that, um, John, you interviewed Brian and Kerry since... Well, you interviewed Brian May again. Like, yes, you're interviewing inter- him like every other week now. I think you've spoken Brian to him more again. than I've spoken to my dad in lockdown. <laughs> yes, that's actually true of me. Um, <laughs> Same. Uh, oh. uh, Oops, yeah, so... Uh, Brian 
Brian is a friend of the show, I think I can safely say now. Uh, but we wanted to interview him and Kerry about the re-release of uh, and the re the sort of new version of Panic Attack 2021. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, due to the sort of frustrations of Zoom technology, because Kerry was coming from sort of on location somewhere, we couldn't get her on the call. So we attempted to uh, give her some questions that we could then drop into the interview as if she was there. Unfortunately, because she was not there, it sounded so insane when we mixed the two <laughs> together um, that that didn't quite work. So I ended up with another interview with Brian. We spoke to him for about 20 minutes and um, played out a, an edited version of that on the on the show. And he was uh, talking about that song. He was talking about... Um, the trials and tribulations of lockdown, how he'd found it quite difficult. He was really honest about, you know, his physical um, health and his mental health as well, which I think is really important because I think uh, it's it's really great when people hear those that they admire and hold on high pedestals talking about the fact that they have difficulty with their mental health during lockdown and that sort of thing. So that was really really kind and brave of him to to talk about that he's uh, also generous and open about that stuff I, yeah I absolutely very disarming and absolutely beautiful and about that, man. we did fingers crossed one day we'll be able to get him on our other podcast which is called how do you cope which is sort of a more longer interview podcast about prominent people coming through difficult times so hopefully so uh, are now we that third on your list of the podcast that you're involved with where you want Brian May involved? Um, hmm. I'm going to say fourth because I've just started fourth? a new podcast, <laughs> podcast about pubs. Pubs! Wow. Yeah. wow. You think um, you no. know a guy, eh? You think you know a guy. Obviously, to have Brian on the Queen Pod is top priority. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but it's never going to happen, so... Hey, so, who knows? So never say never. Vicariously through you. Yes, but, never, um, say never. never say never. I also brought up, because it was in the last interview with us that he, he dropped the scoop about the early Queen recording. And I also asked about that. And he, he was very funny. Some of the language we couldn't include in the, uh, <laughs> in the show. But he got into a bit of trouble, I think, after... After dropping that, and <laughs> Roger, <laughs> Roger said to him, um, "You know, Freddie wouldn't want this being put out," which I'm sure is Ooh. is fair enough. But I think Freddie might just say, "Oh, <laughs> darlings, do what you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Never yeah. make me boring." It's for the people. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, I mean, so you that spotted him on um, on the one show last night talking about this, didn't you? Yeah, and you got oh, asked uh, exactly the same that same question. <laughs> and where did he, where he, are these tapes and? I think he's starting to go, I, I really wish I hadn't mentioned them now because <laughs> everyone's asking about them. Um, but yeah, I don't suppose we're going to see those for any any time soon, sadly. Well, you heard but, it here first. Disappointment from yeah. us to you. Well done, listeners. I, <laughs> you heard I, it here I, first. I blame Roger. At least they exist and no one's going to destroy them. Maybe exactly. one yeah, day. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, he also, we talked about Back to the Light because... I sort of was talking about there's a similarity between the Panic Attack song and some of the music in Back to the Light. That's what remind, reminded me of. And he said that he's been tinkering with Back to the Light. And so it was sort of quite fitting for us to talk about it this week, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we'll get into that in a second. But before we do, 
I just wanted to uh, highlight a thing on... Is it BBC iPlayer, Simon? The um, A Life in Ten Pictures that you have done. Yes. Tell us all about that, please, because it is lovely and wonderful. Um, it's a, a series on BBC Two, but na- now on iPlayer, because it started to go out, um, called A Life in Ten Pictures. And the idea is, is that they take an iconic character and look at their life story as told through ten specific photographic images and as well as telling the life story they sort of look into the story of how where, how that photograph came about and where it was and what was going on at the time um so it's really nice way of looking at it and their series opened um with probably the best iconic figure they could could feature uh, a certain uh, freddie mercury um and um it's really good um and you know i think diehard fans will probably watch it and not particularly learn very much new about freddy but there are some really nice images and talking to the photographers who took them and the circumstances around which they did is is really nice and there's some lovely interviews with people who knew knew freddy really well in there as well um and it goes right through his life and other people in the series i think elizabeth taylor's being done muhammad oh, ali wow. john lennon so it's quite an eclectic mix of i've seen elizabeth taylor live people. actually you have, yeah. Do you know what, Simon? I I think you're you're hiding your light under a bushel because the I think there is quite a lot in it for diehard fans. And oh, th- they'll enjoy it, yeah. But I don't know if it tells it, you anything you didn't know about his life. But there are some nice no. revelations from people who who knew Freddie really well. Yeah, and it's not what's really nice is it's not the usual suspects mm. because, and I think oh. because it's part of a different strand. So it's not sort of a queen production. You do you do get to hear from people I'd not seen on sort of queen documentaries before, and also some of the images I hadn't seen before, mm. um, even though I I knew most of the stories. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was really really good, and I liked that some of the talking heads, like you say, it wasn't big names. It wasn't a classic kind of. You know, people saying, "Well, the thing about Freddie is his voice was just amazing." You know, it's yeah. it's it's very personal insights into into moments, both big and small. And I thought it was really well put together. Yeah, they did a really good job on it. Actually, hats off to them. And um, yeah, as you say, not the usual suspects that mm. that, that, that turned up. Um, there's, uh, for example, Bruce Murray, who was in the hectics with Freddie at school in oh, India. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, who no, now runs a music shop in. Uh, in Bedford, um, oh. but uh, yeah, no. My my aunt phoned me uh, in, in great delight because she'd spotted <laughs> the shop uh, on the, the documentary, and um, mm. so my uh, so her you know her son, my cousin, regularly used to visit that shop and was probably served by Freddie Mercury's bandmate, <laughs> which she thought was amazing. <laughs> oh my god, listeners, we have to make a pilgrimage to that shop. Let's all just turn <laughs> up there. <laughs> On Mike, I'll go down well. The first of September, we'll see you there. <laughs> okay, um, uh, but can I just ask: Is that the fact that they went out that the Freddie Mercury is the first episode? Is that the same thing as the Now albums business, where Jim's gone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that wasn't <laughs> insisted by Queen Productions. It's just when you've got the best, you open with the best. Oh hell yeah! That's so good. That's so good. It is true, though, when, when a series comes together, the best episode is always the first. Always they bury first. the bad ones in the middle and a nice one to end on. 
Yes, yeah, true. Absolutely. Yeah. The bad one goes <laughs> in at episode four out of six or seven out of ten. That's really harsh on whoever's episode four. <laughs> I don't know who that's going to be. But, um, but uh, yes, that will be... Um, no, I'm not going to suggest who that might be. I, I, I don't know. Uh, let's move on, guys. Let's get into this amazing album. Should we get into the works? All right, fantastic. I'm in such a lovely mood. I'm so glad that we're revis- that we're looking at this album, actually, at the moment, because it is, it's taken me right back to the prime of life. I, I was so, so happy mm. to get into all of these tunes again. But, um, yeah, we mentioned on the last episode, and John's just mentioned now, that uh, um, uh, Brian's having a tinker with Back to the Light at the moment, maybe re-releasing it later this year. And we were wondering whether to wait until that happens to, do, to shine a light on it. But... Um, we felt it behooved us to have a look at it now so that those of you that are unfamiliar with Back to the Light can get familiar with it. And then when the new version comes out, you'll have a frame of reference so you'll be able to see how nicely it's all been polished up. John, Could we got just a have a roll look. call of people wearing Brian May t-shirts, please? John Robbins present. Oh. oh, is that what it is? I thought you were wearing some sort of egg. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> right. I oh, it's one Easter of the hot space teacher. ones. It's one of the hot space ones. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Fair play to you, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. You get uh, you get the first brownie points of today. Well done, John. <laughs> I think we've just established, haven't we, that Brian is John's new dad. So it's <laughs> oh, <yeah. unfair. laughs> I, th- I think he has been for a while. Um, uh, so yes, Back to the Light uh, was released uh, on the 20th of September 1992 in the UK. A little bit later, uh, February 93 in the US, um, and uh, it was mainly recorded at Brian's house. Um, I'm going to ask Simon to do a little bit of a, a, a sort of um, background for us on this, but. I thought I'd just run through a couple of little uh, bits of business with this album. Um, it peaked at number six on the official UK charts in the week beginning November the 13th, 19, uh, 1992. Thank you. Um, uh, would you like to know what was ahead of it? Yeah. More yeah. more for nostalgia value than anything else. So at number five, one for you, Suze. Timeless, The Classics by Michael Bolton. Oh, I thought it was going to be Shawardi Wardy. We should oh, no. we should um, we should boo everything that's ahead of Brian and Queen when you do the roll call. Oh <laughs> man, is that right? Should we? Uh, okay, for boo Bolton. <laughs> I don't mind booing Bolton a bit, but I respect him now. I didn't respect him then, but I respect him now. Uh, for <laughs> Tubular Bells Two by Mike Oldfield. Oh, boo. what an album! No way. <laughs> that's better than Tubular Bells. I I. How, I on. this is mad. I'm I checking if this is irony or not. It's not okay. When I was uh, probably t- twelve years old, yeah, Tubular Bells two. The whole thing is stuck in my head. I could, I could, not that I could play any of the instruments, but I could play Tubular Bells two in my head from start to finish right now. Wow! It, it was wow. in my head the other day. It's very odd. You know, when a song gets stuck in your head, it's very odd when that song is fifty minutes long. <laughs> I think you can do tests for that sort of thing, John. So at number three, there's uh, Gold by Abba. Abba Gold, of course. Uh, and at number two, Us by Peter Gabriel. And at number one, Automatic for the People by REM. Strong what a list. Oh, what a it is, list. isn't it? 
Fair play mm. to Brian wow. to get that close to the top. There, none there. of those feel like thirty years ago. Well, twenty nine. No none of those feel oh, long enough ago. Terrifying. Mention that back to like <laughs> thirty <laughs> years ago. I know, I know. I don't like having memories of stuff from thirty years yeah. ago. Because I'm 22, so I shouldn't. <laughs> That's interesting you say that, because I'm 19, Suze. Oh, really? Ah, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. in three years, you'll know how I feel. <laughs> Old. <laughs> oh, glorious, glorious, glorious. Okay, so there's a, a couple of things about this album I find quite interesting. So uh, it was mainly recorded in 1988. There was a big batch of tracks that um, Brian recorded around the 1988 point, which was Back to the Light, Too Much Love Will Kill You, I'm Scared, Last Horizon, Let Your Heart Rule Your Head and Rolling Over, while the remaining five songs were recorded during 91 and 92. Now, the songs Headlong and I Can't Live With You, I'm not 100% sure about this, so I'm going to lean on Simon just to to, to back, me, back me up on this, but they were released on Innuendo, obviously, but they were originally intended to be included on this album, Back to the Light, but when Brian heard Freddie Mercury singing the tracks, he said preferred them to become Queen songs. I've got you Isn't back that good? on that one. Yeah? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. I did not know that about those two tracks. Very, 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 very happy about that. Um, Simon, why don't you give us some background on this solo album his second solo album i guess technically yes yeah i I think yes i mean he did the starfleet project 83 was it around about that time Mm -hmm. i think so but this i think would he would regard as his sort of first big sort of solo album you know in in the traditional sense of 12 tracks or whatever it is um it is really interesting when you think about the context in which it came about because as we know from a Queen perspective, they they had stopped touring at this point. And so they'd very much got off that treadmill of going to the studio, record an album, release an album, rehearse your tour, go on tour, come back, have a quick break and then start that treadmill again. So they were recording, but they weren't touring. So I think for Brian, he needed something to fill that gap that was left by those months in the year where... Queen would normally be, you know, traipsing around the world doing their thing. And so he decided to start um, work on a solo project, as you said, working on that throughout 88 and 89. What became apparent to them was that despite Freddie's illness, Freddie was still very keen to work. So as soon as, as, soon as they could, they would go back into the studio with Freddie, um, which meant the Innuendo album sort of followed very quickly on from The Miracle. So this was very much something that Brian was doing in between those. And as you rightly say, there were some tracks that he had earmarked for his solo album that actually he decided to give and do with Queen because it suited Freddie, Freddie's voice better than his, so Headlong being the, the main example of that. Um, but I, I just think it's fascinating when you think of what the pressures the band would have been under at that time. They knew that Freddie was ill. They were all hoping for a miracle. But they also knew at that time that the illness that he had invariably was not curable. So it was a really difficult time. And when I was looking through it uh, to research for this, I found a really good interview with Brian um, where he talked really openly about what he was going through when he was putting this album together. And so rather than me sit here and tell you, I thought I'd just leave it to him because he does it so much better than I could. Mm. Um, And when you hear it, 
it's it's very moving and this was an interview he gave in 1992 to promote the album so these feelings are very raw so um i will leave our eminent producer giles to roll the clip i think i had a nice smooth growth up to the point where queen was this stadium band and i thought i kind of had life sussed i had a nice mum and dad i had a nice wife and three beautiful children and a band which seemed to ever be increasing in stature and I was having a wonderful time basically um, and then more or less everything cracked at once my father died um, I split up with my wife over a long period during which I struggled against it you know it took me about a year and a half in which time I couldn't move got very depressed and also the band obviously wasn't going to tour for a while, so that release was taken away as well. So I sat stuck in England in complete blackness for much too long. And I was very unproductive. I managed to play a few guitar solos for, um, for the Miracle album, I think. But basically I was a bit of a, bit of a washout for quite a while. That's when I decided to make the solo album. I thought, I need a release. I need something that's going to pick me up off the floor which can be the beginnings of me, because I didn't know who I was anymore. I lost, lost my identity. Um, so that's when I started, and I wrote this song called Back to the Light, which is a kind of idealised dream of here I am in my dark space here, and over there is the light somewhere, and somehow I will get there. But I had no idea how to get there. I didn't know which way to go. I didn't know where the light was. So... Um, it was all downhill from there, really. It's very hard to, to bear your soul without bearing the people around you. That's the problem. I mean, that's the real sticky problem. Um, but in any case, I have this feeling that the album isn't just about me. If it was just about me, I don't think it would be worth that much. I hope that it speaks to people and they will find bits of themselves in it and make some sense in their lives from it. Towards the end, I was very fortunate in that I did seem to find some optimism. I found a lot of patterns which made sense. And although I couldn't solve all the problems, I felt better in myself. I felt like I was a complete human being, so at least I could, what my therapist calls, bear unbearable pain, you know, which is what it's about, I suppose. So I'm actually in much better shape. I'm in a different... I had to reconstruct myself. I don't actually like the the person that I was those years ago, although it looked all right on the outside, it was kind of all wrong on the inside. So um, I'm beginning to like myself a bit more and I'm ready for the future. Oh. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, Brian. It's, um, he, he's incredibly honest there and um, mm. you can see that he's been on a real journey. But I, I think when we come to look at this, album we're going to see that that it is a real mix of light and shade mm. there are moments where you can sense that he's in a really difficult place but others where he's finding optimism as he describes it and and coming out of it and um uh, it is about i think it's about 10 or 15 years ago i remember hearing an interview with brian and, and someone said you know would you do another solo album he said i'd only do one if i had something to say and i mm. think that's the thing with with Brian when he when he creates something it's because he's got something he wants to say and I think in this album 
there was a lot he wanted to say, which is why it's so rich. Um, mm. And I'm really looking forward to going through it with all you guys and seeing yeah. what of it. Out, yeah, out of interest, Simon, what's the timeline with Too Much Love Will Kill You? Was that recorded in 88, then given to Freddie and Queen in 91, in the knowledge that it would then be released before it came out on Made in Heaven, but after it was recorded? Mm. How does that all fit together? So, yes, so he did. So he'd recorded Too Much Love Will Kill You, Brian had, and then. I think it was in those sessions later where he got Freddie to sing it, but as it didn't, it wasn't on any of their albums at the time. Brian released his version on Back to the Light, and I remember he sang it at the tribute concert, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was just one of those ones that they revisited for Made in Heaven because obviously at the time he released this, they had no idea that they were going to do a a posthumous album. You know, it was originally oh, recorded for the Miracle. But yeah, but left but, off the miracle. Yeah, but too much love will kill you. Had been recorded by Freddie after it had been recorded by Brian, but before it had been released by Brian. Yes, right. That's my understanding. Yeah. So that batch of songs that he did in 1988, some of which, a couple of which, made it onto Innuendo. That particular track, I think, was originally intended for the miracle. Yeah. But um, the thing is, it's a very the they didn't personal song to Brian because obviously it's it's about his the breakup of his own marriage, you know, and and so I think he he wanted it on this album because it was a very personal subject. And did, is is the version on this album is this literally direct from 1988 or were they re-recorded? I think these were revisited. Right. Um, but I, I may I may be wrong about that. I'm not exactly sure. Um, there are loads of versions of each of these tracks out there. Uh, so really? if you want to look it up, I mean, a, a good source for that is just Queenpedia, and it'll tell. Or, or actually, um, yeah, no, Queenpedia is a good place, and you can kind of see where all the different versions are. But um, yeah, um, <clears throat> it is true. It's uh, there's a, a lovely little message in the um, sleeve notes. Uh, where he says, for the past 20 years I've been privileged to work with the best team in the world. Thank you, Roger, John and our dear, incomparable, sorely missed Freddie and all those who worked for Queen over the years for getting me this far. This album is dedicated to Harold May, Alfred Dobson and Freddie Mercury and to Mm. all those loved ones we have lost too soon. Hmm. So there is a... Oh my God, I'm so sad. I know, I know. I know, I know. It it has come from... But, you know, bear in mind that... um, you know, driven driven by you, so there is a, there are a lot of hit singles off this album. It's 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 worth noting. There's there's some some quite well known songs on the album, um, but uh, driven by you was released earlier, and it was released around the time of of Freddie's death. We'll get into this when we get to that yeah. track, I think. Mm. Um, um, so it is obviously wrapped up in a very dark period in the band's life. Certainly in Brian's life, it seems like he had a confluence of horrible things happening because, of course, Freddie got ill before we even approach this area uh, of, of their careers. Um, mm. You know, he lost his dad, he lost his marriage, you know, there's all, all, all sorts of things, um, like Simon was saying. Um, he, he did say in an interview I found in um, in 92, uh, in Gold CD magazine, uh, he said, as a band, we had an incredibly lucky and successful span of 20 years, and being able to perform at that level of success was very rewarding. However, we found building up 
however, we fought to build up our own protective shell, and once that was there, it was like a little egg that saved us from having to be individuals in the true sense. So it's good for us to be put in a situation where we have to be individuals from now on. We have no option but to move on to the next phase. I know that I wouldn't have attacked this solo album with the same passion if it hadn't been for the way that things had turned out with Freddie's passing. And, you, you know, I think... Uh, everything this album, you know, we're opening with a track called The Dark and goes straight into a track called Back to the Light. And in- incredibly, I think there is so much energy and vim and shedding of sorrow over the course of this album that I think it is mm. a very, val- you know, we, we've talked about, about when are we going to talk about these solo albums. And I love Rogers, uh, two of Rogers' solo albums. I adore uh, Fun in Space and, and Strange Frontier. We're like, well, do we do them in order or whatever? But I'm kind of happy that um, that circumstances have brought us to a place where we're able to talk about this album first. I think um, um, it kind of, um, uh, you know, we've been talking about the early part of their career and there are resonances with the early part of their career, both on Innuendo and on this album. Um, and it's sort of more highly produced in sound. It sort of feels more polished than a lot of the stuff that we've been maybe looking at up till now. So um, I am kind of excited to get into it. Shall we get into it? Yes. <clears throat> All right, let's cheer everyone up with The Dark. <laughs> So I kept a little bit of the lullaby section there just uh, to give you a flavour. I like that he's riffing on We Will Rock You a little bit there. Um, but this track is the oldest track on the album, dating all the way back to 1980, as it was originally intended for the Flash soundtrack album. Oh, wow, well, that yeah. makes a bit of sense, mate. Yeah. Yes. So you kind of hear those Flash-type strains as you get out yeah. of the sad uh, lullaby and you start to hear... I mean, the Red Special is what you need to get yourself out of a bit of a funk, isn't it? I mean, just like, <laughs> roar that up, yeah. you'll be all right, basically. That's how I tend to get out of, out of my little down days, is I just hear Brian uh, very, very loudly. I would say uh, I'll add uh, hashtag B, P, PBL this week and uh, play Brian loud, please. Uh, that would be very, very good. Um yeah, I mean, there isn't a huge amount to say about this track. It was, uh, it does include uh, material engineered by Alan Douglas um, at Townhouse from 1980, like I say, intended for the Flash soundtrack. So, yes, guys, mm. anything to comment on? I, I wasn't that familiar with this album. I think I heard it in my early 20s, but I've never owned it. Um, and I didn't remember this track, but it feels like a real natural um, follow-up to the Innuendo album. Like, yes. if Queen had gone on to do another album, they could have opened it with this, and it would have felt like a real, um, like, sequel to Innuendo. It does bridge mm. to the sound on Made in Heaven, doesn't it, Suze? It kind mm. of, mm. that production mm-hmm. is there. Yeah. 
Queen is very present on this album, I feel. For sure. There's a very Made in Heaven track later in the album. I I think that the, I think that with the dark, it's such a it's such a queen like opening, a bit like mm. sort of um, procession mm-hmm. or something like that. I think just maybe there's there's quite a few different elements to it. So there's sort of the lullaby bit, then there's the guitar solo, then there's the more um, sort of almost like symphonic um, element, isn't there? It's almost like a mm. film score bit. Yeah. And I and I wonder if you're not quite sure where you are with it. And I wonder if perhaps one or two of those items together would be a more sort of clear opening. But it's certainly very unusual. It's also a very brave opening track, I think, to have on a a solo album where you know a lot of people are going to be watching what you're doing. Mm. Mm. It reminds me of their early work in the sense that, um, yeah, like you mentioned on Night of the Opera, on Day at the Races, you do have these little strains at the beginning of the album that they come back to at the end of the album and, and, and Brian does that here with the dark right at the end of the album off Roland Ory comes back to the dark again um, and that isn't something that they particularly did from News of the World onwards mm. I don't think to my memory I can't think of any particular moments where they do that um, so it kind of um, it resonated with me in that sense and I think Suze what you were saying about, this is an album that this album came out when I was in the depths of loss over Fred. Um, and mm. so it was so precious to me, but also it was right in the wheelhouse of my musical taste and that it is good, solid cock rock. <laughs> you know, I was all into Def Leppard and Poison and all that stuff uh, at, that, at that time of my life. And I listened to this album a lot, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, I... It, it does have that bridging space for me. It, it does have a greater standing um, out of all of their solo work, I think, um, in it being closer to Queen than I think maybe. You know, it feels like, um, certainly for Roger, it's about getting away from Queen and what he could do himself and, you, you know, all that kind of stuff. But with, with Brian, I mean, you're absolutely right, Suze. This, this album is absolutely in relationship to Queen throughout, mm. I think. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Should we get on to Back to the Light? Because that is the big mm. rocking track. Um, let's hear. Do you know what? I'm actually going to say I'm going to say this. We, um, uh, I don't even remember a, f- a few episodes ago we were talking about All Dead, All Dead on, on News of the World and uh, that Brian had written this about the passing of his cat. And um, my, my boy Sam, who does all that social media, bless him, has been going through a similar thing lately and he found himself listening to that very track. Uh, last week um and so i am just going to play this one for sam and tuffers if that's all right
Sam. That's one for Grumpy Cat right there. Uh, <laughs> all right, well done, guys. Uh, we're there. Listen, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about the guys that play on this album because Brian's got a habit of pulling some very, very, very cool people together. So he's got Cozy Powell on the drums who uh, played with the Jack Beck Band and Rainbow and Black Sabbath and all kinds of amazing, amazing drummer. Um, sadly died in uh, 1998 at the age of only 50 bless him so a few years after this but plays like a legend on this album uh, and Gary Tibbs is doing the bass uh, on this particular track um, and he is from Adam and the Ants and Roxy Music and amazing amazing bands like that um, so yeah where are we on Back to the Light John talk to me about Back to the Light well, this album, bizarrely, was the soundtrack to my first ever girlfriend, my first ever relationship. So <laughs> I haven't actually listened to this album for, I would say, 23 years. Oh my God, did it end that badly? Wow. No, it's just because it's so fixed at a moment in time. It was quite an intense relationship and... I went to see Brian live in 98, so I would have been listening to a lot around there. Um, so it just sort of feels so much like a, a book in the shelf of that part of my life yeah, that I haven't right. gone back to it. Um, and Back to the Light more than any track on the album was just such a big... <laughs> a song we listen to all the time. And yeah. it would have been... Also the time when Another World came out. So we were sort of listening to both of these albums. And I think, like, um, I actually have a slightly different view to to Suze and Roe, just because I think on this album, Brian is expressing a lot of his musical tastes outside of Queen. So like, I think it sounds Queen-esque at times because it's Brian and he's a big part of their sound. But I... I think Meatloaf is quite an interesting point of reference for this album. I wrote down Jim Steinman for Did this. You? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I'm a huge Meatloaf fan. And I actually think Meatloaf is sort of... I think he's done a disservice to by his reputation. I actually think Meatloaf's a much more important and influential musician than he's necessarily given credit for. And I think there are times on this, especially in um, the song Back to the Light, where you think, yeah, this has got that real Steinman-esque landscape. Um, and also, Brian said in the interview we did last week that on Back to the Light, as a, as a rule, the, the verses are the darkness and the choruses are the light. Mm. And that's so true in Back to the Light, because just as you're in that sort of quite dark shell, suddenly this chorus breaks in and it's really driving forward and really positive. And I think the positioning of the dark as the first track tells us that this is an emotional journey and that's where we're starting from. And then as the songs go on, he sort of punches through that, that darkness with those, with those choruses. So I, I think it's a superb song. Yeah, it's a fascinating album for that, isn't it? Um, I suppose I don't disagree with you from that perspective, uh, but for me, I, I always um, look at this album as uh, as evidence of what Brian was bringing to the table with Queen. You kind of do you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that but he, there are points later where he plays guitar like he never, ever plays guitar on a Queen mm. album. And I wonder if it was him finally going, 
I, I get to do exactly what I want right now. <laughs> do you know what? I've got a really interesting little quote from Brian about that very point. Because oh, cool. you would have yeah. thought a Brian May album would be a massive guitar-based album. Mm. And it is, it is. But it isn't like a Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, Ingwie mm-hmm. Malmsteen, you know, it, it is at one guitar-a-thon. Point, but, we'll, but no, you're absolutely right. He's still restrained. Yeah. And I think it tells a fascinating story about him as a guitarist as we, as we go through the album. Well, I, w- I want to see if this will um, if this will fire up Sue's actually. It's a slightly long quote, so j- just bear with me. I, I, um, but again, it's the same 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 interview that I used a little bit earlier. I have to make it clear though that I'm not setting myself up as a great vocalist. I know for a fact that I'm not, and that comes from having worked with Freddie. If you look at Bob Dylan or Eric Clapton, they're proficient, but they're not great singers. People have sung Dylan's songs a lot better than he has. But if you listen to his interpretation of his own songs, there's a massive amount of meaning and feeling that only he can put across. The point is, you can write a song and someone else can record it, but even if that someone is the best singer in the world, something is usually lost in the translation. The things that you, as the writer, personally feel about the song don't necessarily get into the final performance. With my new album, I wanted to say that I wanted... I wanted to say what I wanted to say in my own way, using the vocal and the guitar as two voices. Back to the Light isn't a guitar virtuoso album. It is built around the voice, and it is an album of songs, some of which are designed to feature a lot of guitar. I worked on the vocals more than anything else on the album. I needed to because I'm not that great at doing that stuff. So it's typically um, humble, but yeah. So modest. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I... I just want everyone to know that I realise I'm not as good at singing as Freddie Mercury. It's like, <laughs> it's like when I used to get sad as a teenager that I couldn't be a model. <laughs> I can't be a model. Don't worry about it. Um, that's I, I have written several times like how good his vocals are right. on this. Um, he and how versatile. Uh, this is the guy that sang 39, but mm. he can put a lot of grit in his voice that you wouldn't necessarily know he could from hearing his work on Queen albums because any songs that required a gritty sound obviously he'd go and Freddie will sing this because he's got so much meat in the voice Um, so yeah I think Brian would surprise a lot of people with the vocals on this album he sounds great I just keep writing (laughs) in my notes like sounds great on this Mm-hmm. Sounds so good on this. Like. <laughs> he's, um, so I think he's been very modest. And there, there are points where he truly lets go. He's full rock and roll, totally embracing it. Mm. You know, on, on a lot of these tracks, he's just going for it quite happily. Yeah, yeah, you know. some good, good um, runs as well. He's right. doing some good riffs. Yeah, Brian says it's about the voice, but it's definitely a bit about the guitar. Um, just go back to what you were talking about, John. Let's skip ahead to that bonkers tapping moment. Um, that you were talking about from Resurrection. Oh my God, it's so good, it's so good. I think that that com- that comparison with Steve Vai is really interesting because when I imagine Brian in the eighties and nineties as such an established guitar player, a new type of guitarist was being born 
of that sort of lead guitarist frontman, which that hadn't been around since Hendrix. So like Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, Van Halen, that kind of person. And I always think about like Brian as someone who's capable of playing in the way that they do to an extent. He must have been thinking, oh, I'd like to have a go at this, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really fit in Queen. And I and I think it tells so much of the restraint of such an accomplished guitar player that he didn't suddenly sort of go, right, I want to be doing this new thing everyone's doing, all this sort of tapping and all these trills and and all this sort of um, stuff with the tremolo arm. However, he does do it in Resurrection. And it's the only time I think I've ever heard Brian May play guitar where if you'd have played me that solo, I would have gone, I don't know who that is. Mm. Right, right. Because right, right. I can always identify Brian from the sound of his guitar and the scales he uses. Right. But on this occasion, I'd have gone, oh, I don't know, could be a number of sort of 80s, yeah. early 90s guitarists. And that's not a criticism. I think it's amazing to mm. hear him. It's almost like he's going, yeah, I can do it, guys. I'm not going <laughs> yeah. to ruin a gig or a Queen album by, by showing off. But just, to, just so you know, all that stuff you're doing, I can do that. <laughs> the thing that struck me on this album, John, listening to it afresh, and I've got to ask you when you listen, I'll, I'll come back to that in a second, but uh, you've talked a lot about how concise Brian will be with his solos within Queen songs. And here, it's not like he's indulgent particularly, but he's less concise than he might be on a Queen album. Do you know what I mean? He gives himself yeah. a little bit more space, but not too much more space. He's still and I, restrained. And I think that's that's why the album works is it it's not a guitar so i was watching old videos of steve Vai because i was thinking about this and it, as impressive as it is and i have a huge amount of respect for steve Vai because he was the protege of one mr frank zappa and they play <laughs> together and it's amazing but when he's playing on his own there's just something about it which is so gross and he's gross <laughs> I mean, it's so good. It's so uh, it's so beyond what most people can do with any instrument. But part of you is left feeling, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you never get that with Brian. No. And you don't actually get that with Frank Zappa, but something about those 80s and 90s guitar virtuosos. And Brian hosted them, actually. He hosted a thing called Expo 92. Yeah. And it was a Guitar Legends Expo. And I know that Brian would be just, you know, we are not worthy with Steve Vai and Joe Satran. He loved them. But I'll never forget that video because Brian's lead doesn't work. So he's, oh. and you can just see the stress in him because he spent this whole time curating this festival of guitar gods. And then Brian comes out for his moment and everyone's sort of applauding his work. And he's lead doesn't work and it's just something you have no control over that the mm. connection's gone nothing you That's can do so it's like a string breaking mm. and you, i just remember watching thinking oh brian oh, but in, an incredible um event uh mm. if you i mean i don't know if you can get hold of it anymore but i remember having it on vhs it was sort of something Probably like on youtube guitar gods expo 92 um but it's that's why this album i think is so interesting because in a couple of the other tracks as well that we're just about to come to, it's it's showing the influence on Brian that he didn't get to put into Queen, I think. 
Right, right. Yep, yep, yep. I think you're right. And a good example of that is the very next track, I think, which is, well, mind you, it's very Fat Bomb Girls. But anyway, uh, Love Token by Brian May. It's almost six minutes of rock. Let's hear some of that. So that's what I wanted to ask you, John. Listening to this album for the first time in 23 years, did it take you straight back to your love token? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because you listen to that song and you think, oh, this is like straight up White Snake, ZZ Top kind of Black Sabbath, Def Leppard stuff. Mm. But actually, he's talking about a marriage that's on the rocks. Oh. So even when mm. he's not being particularly emotional musically in the lyrics. Yeah. He's still dealing with stuff and processing it. But I think Love Token and I'm Scared are the two songs where you, uh, I think if Brian May heard this track, he'd be like, yeah, I'm into this kind of music. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So this is what he would listen to himself because he has quite a family of influences and musicians who aren't really connected to the Queen world but are the sort of people he would hang out with and go to gigs, so like Rory Gallagher-type guitar. And right, right. and people like Cozy Powell, and that's exactly why he's got him involved in the album, I think. Yeah, yeah, he's got Cozy on drums here. He's got Neil Murray on the bass, uh, who's from White Snake and also played with Black Sabbath later. Uh, and Mike Moran, of course, on the piano, uh, mm. which uh, is uh, Suze's good mate, Mike Moran, uh, and Close Giles will be coming back shortly to play a bit of amazing Mike Moran from the end of the album. But while, while we're waiting for that, uh, I just wanted to ask Suze. So for me, this the sound of this album is quite a commercial sound, particularly for that mm-hmm. time. Does it sound fresh and current still, or does it feel like it's from that sort of Def Leppard hysteria 
era to you because you're kind of a bit more objective about this than I think us oh yeah I like I like it I think it sounds like um I think proper motorway rock doesn't doesn't date like if it's good motorway rock it'll still sound good on your way home from a gig in Oxford yeah absolutely it's great (laughs) private music there's no doubt half 1am yeah (laughs) it's cool also there aren't many uh jaunty rock songs from the pov of a child going through a terrible divorce wow that so is a great I, observation. I salute the fact that this is one of those. <laughs> Shall we listen to your mate Mike playing piano like an absolute badass at the end of this track? Yeah! <laughs> Fantastic. Love the boy on his piano. Suze, do you recognise Mike Moran's piano playing right there? I don't know. I don't know if I I don't know if my ears are finely tuned enough, but um he is an incredible pianist. I know that they I've heard members of Queen say in interviews that Freddie's playing was like a metronome, so he played more like a percussionist because he'd always he could almost set the time with how he set the time of a song by how he was playing it. Like, he would stay in perfect tempo. I think Mike had that as well. Right. Which is such a useful skill as an accompanist. Like, there's so much... There's It's such a different job being a pianist and a, and and accompanying. Um, right. And they could do both. Okay. Amazing. That's probably why Freddie and Mike got on so well. Amazing. Now, Simon, yeah. there's mm. an explicit version of this song, isn't there? Yes, there is. With naughty <laughs> there lyrics. Is, there is. Do you, do you remember what the naughty lyrics are? I do remember what the naughty lyrics are. Go on then. No. <laughs> you Lord, don't? No. no. I do remember, but I'm not going to share them. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll share them. I'm not afraid. Uh, so there's this line where he goes, you put fat in the fire, you got meat for brains. Uh, but in the original version, he said... <laughs> for brains. Uh, parental guidance. It's all right. We'll get Freddie <laughs> explicit <completely>. lyrics. <laughs> and uh, a few, a, a couple of moments later, you know, he says, "Well, don't, uh, well, you don't give me comfort, and a man's got to get it somewhere." And then, then he says, "Oh, that's a shame." Yeah, well, and it's kind of this little riffy bit. And in the naughty original version, he instead of saying, "Oh, that's a shame," he said, "Oh, well." F- <laughs> <laughs> so that's gone. <laughs> So I hope Charles is writing down these points of Eddie bleeps. But um uh but the only way to get hold of that explicit version, as far as I know, is it was it's given to track away. Your thumb free. In the car door. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, it was it was given away free with R C D magazine, Rock C D magazine at the time, and that apparently is the only way to get hold of that version. Is that right, oh. Simon? What do you know about this? I don't, I don't recall that, but that, that sounds Couldn't about right. Couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, yeah. It's not on YouTube. No, there you go. That's, That's a stuff. rarity. That's a collector's item. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It is. Listen, we've already started talking about uh, Resurrection. Uh, I think we should listen to a bit of it properly. Properly. 
Simon, you regularly ride the night to the morning sun, don't you? I do. This is my <laughs> Ever favorite. Ever since this came out, is this your favorite track on the album? Yeah, it is. I love is this. Is it? Yeah, and um, I think it, it's because it's a duet. It's it's between Brian and Cozy um, duet, really. Oh um, wow! And I think what's interesting I is Cozy Powell's got a a reputation for being a heavy drummer, you know, because of the bands that he was associated with. But actually, he he's technically so good. He's brilliant as well and he he really does have that light and shade similar to what to roger has i, I don't think cozy's pat what you would say is as musical as roger but he's technically as gifted in, in that sense and i i just think this this song plays to both their strengths so well and when i listen to it you know particularly when you think about that that place that brian was in it's it almost feels like cozy's kind of lifting brian back up again and they are just loving rocking out together on this song yeah and of course it's called resurrection and that and that's what it feels like uh, it's just a joyous onslaught of guitar and drums um, with a great vocal as well yeah yeah it's just so triumphant and huge isn't yeah. it and so... do you know do you know who it reminds me of it reminds me of europe you know yeah. oh, yeah. that did the final the countdown, countdown. Sure. and yeah. uh, i had their greatest hits as a teenager that I used to play very loud in my mini as I drove around the market town. <laughs> Did you have a mini? Yeah. My first car was a mini. Was it? Yeah, 1989 mini. <laughs> what was that, Ro? I'm going to give you a brownie point for every Europe track you can name that isn't the final countdown. Uh, Carrie. Is that a Ch- person Cherokee. or an activity? Um, Are you just making up words? No. Um, <laughs> Carrie, Cherokee are the ones I remember from that album. Cartographer? Is that another one? Are they all just words beginning with C? Is that what it is? Uh, this is like three. No, you're looking three it up now, John. That's that, that, No, come on. I'm giving you two no, brownie points. Ca- Carrie and Cherokee points. are the ones I remember. Beautiful. That are aren't the final countdown. Carrie's a great track. Okay. Mm. You know it as well, see? Okay, fair play. I'm going to investigate. Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> used to sing it oh, to a girl in my sick form. I was quite annoying. <laughs> her name was Carrie. Oh, right, OK, I got you. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I had Mr. Bad Guy on cassette in my mini. Ooh. Yeah, I mate. Used to practice my, I used to practice my parallel parks between two planks of wood. <laughs> <laughs> it's a parallel parking in a mini is really easy as well. Why two planks of wood? You actually set up two planks of wood? Yeah, outside my house on the pavement. And I'd position myself, and I could see them, couldn't I? And listen to Mr. Bagger. Did you have the pilot shades on and everything while you're doing it? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Fantastic. In my memories, I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got to love a mini. Got to love a mini. Mm. It's such a weird sort of chapter in music. That specific guitar tone. It's so odd because <laughs> it was Richie like Sambora type. <laughs> it was the sexiest thing you could possibly do, eighty-eight to ninety-one. <laughs> But it sort of dated very quickly, didn't it? That 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 guitar sound, the Ibanez kind of, the one with the hole in it, the handle sort of in the the Ibanez that uh, Steve Vai uses. Oh yeah, it was the era of flying V guitars and all that great stuff. It was there were always somebody would just rock out with like a double necked guitar, like it was yeah, it was it was a good time to be a guitar. But it's, era, it's partly Britpop that put an end to that. Because you sort of can't, you can't share a stage 
with like Oasis and Blur because they would just be like, oh, what's this guy doing? Is that a wanker? You know, he's sort of... Yeah. It, yeah. It's why I was at war with everyone in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they wanted to listen to the Happy Mondays and I'm like, but that's not music. <laughs> Which I've changed my mind on now. I'm, I'm, I'm much more relaxed about these things now. Well, shall we move on to uh, the highest charting single off this album? Yes. Mm. All right. Let's listen to a little bit of uh, Too Much Love Will Kill You by Brian May, Frank Musker and Elizabeth Lammers. How would it be if you were standing in my shoes? Can't you see it's impossible to choose? twiddly guitar bit mm. it's so beautiful some of the tones of his guitar on this album are just drop dead gorgeous and uh, I'm not I'm not actually the biggest fan of this particular song but that twiddly guitar bit I I just within about a bar of it I'm like yeah respect Brian fair play to you mate mm. <laughs> you are beautiful um, yeah uh, so Brian has done all the music by himself on this literally all of it amazing isn't wow. it um so let us start with you, Suze. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, let me hear what you want to say about it, and then I will tell you uh, what was in the charts when this thing was in the charts. Okay, okay. Well, listening to this album in full, I did find that this was still my standout track. Oh, really? Uh, it's a song I love anyway. Okay. Um, I think it's probably one of the more like timeless songs on the album. Sure. It doesn't, doesn't feel... Go. It doesn't feel like a song from 30 years ago at all. Um, and I love the things that were different about this to the version that's on Made in Heaven, obviously Brian's voice, but he has um, a completely different sort of fragility to his voice. And now that I know the context mm. of it, it's very heartbreaking, mm. um, the, his version of the song. And I love the the differences, he, that like they've added some pizzicato strings just before his... A lovely acoustic solo. Um, it's just very trumpet. And... <laughs> That's what yeah, yeah, it's a really um, subtle orchestration <clears throat> mm. on an album that also includes songs like "Driven by You." And, <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, it's um, yeah, it's it's really lovely. It's a beautiful band. 
Yeah. No doubt. Do you want to hear what was in the uh, top ten and where it came? All right, okay. I thought so you were going to say, yeah. do you want to hear what was in the uh, adult version? Then? Oh, no, no adult <laughs> version of this one. <laughs> Too much level kill you. <laughs> Wall-to-wall swears. <laughs> There's no such thing as too much love, the adult version. Okay, um, all right, so uh, at number 10, uh, we had House of Love by E17. Uh, number nine, we had that theme from MASH thing by uh, the Manic Street Preachers. Uh, number eight, My Destiny by Lionel Richie. At number seven, Just Another Day by John Cicada. At number six, The Best Things in Life Are Free by Luther Vandross. <laughs> Such an era. This is so my era. Okay, number five, Too Much Love Will Kill You by Brian May. High song position, well done. Uh, at number four, It's My Life by Dr. Orban. Oh, wow. Oh a God, banger. A really annoying banger. Uh, uh, number three, Rhythm is a Dancer by Snap, yo. Tune. At uh, number two, the cover of Baker Street by Undercover. <laughs> and at number one, Ebenezer Good by The Shaman. Oh, That's man. right. <laughs> right out front, it took me so long to discover that what they were actually doing was saying, ease are good. <laughs> so, so mad to, to think understand. of moral panics in music now when like <laughs> stuff like WAP to think that back then yes. it was literally you would ban songs from Radio 1 because they made veiled references to drugs yeah. you kind of ex- you think that's something from the 60s but no yeah yeah Ebenezer good what a cause celebre that was <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing it's amazing stuff Simon how do you feel about this track um, it's it's really hard not to compare it, isn't it, to the Queen version, um, which I I really like as well. Um, not because Freddie sings it, which certainly pulls on your heartstrings, but I I do think Roger's drumming on that somehow makes the song feel more powerful as a sort of a a stadium song. But I I think this is much closer to what Brian intended when he he wrote it, and I think it's. I think this is one of those examples where you were mentioning earlier where something gets a little lost in the translation when you give it to someone else to sing. Yes. And although Freddie sings it beautifully and it has mm. its own meaning because Freddie's singing it, I think mm. this version is much... This is what Brian meant and, and, he, and he's the only right. one who can deliver it and he does so beautifully. Yeah. And you mentioned that he, um, he did it at the um, Freddie Mercury tribute on the... Yeah, April 1992. <laughs> uh, uh, and again, obviously that was now in a... Well, I think it was only ever really sung in the light of Freddie's passing, uh, even though it wasn't really about that. Um, but um, it has so much more resonance for all mm. of us, I think, when, when he sang it there. And again, he made it... You're right, he makes it extremely personal. And, and, and we've, we, we've commented about that on the Queen albums, like... You know, Roger. Uh, sorry, Roger. Brian's stuff is personal, and it's little wonder mm. that we have so much personal material here on this album as well. Mm. Uh, shall we go to the most commercial track on the album? Yes. Mm. All right. Let's sell some Ford cars. <laughs> <laughs> Everything we do, 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 everything we do
Oh, don't turn it off. <laughs> oh, is it, is it your happy place? What a banger. Isn't it? It's impossible <laughs> it's so not good. to get your air guitar out. <laughs> it's such a good song. Uh, Is it your favourite track on the album, John? Um, in terms of how it makes me feel, yes. Because <laughs> I, when I was a kid, my two favourite things were Queen and the Sierra Cosworth. And I still, <laughs> to this day... My dream car is still a Sierra Cosworth. A Sierra Cosworth. Yeah. Wow. And they were such Sierra a wide Cosworth. boys car. But oh my God, I just thought the Sierra Cosworth was the most beautiful thing on earth. And it what is colour? Slate grey. Oh. oh, right. And like an my, there were two types. There was the Sapphire Cosworth, which just looked like a sort of a sharkier version of the classic Sierra. And then there was the RS Cosworth. And my... PE teacher had a white RS Cosworth. Bloody hell. And I just remember I would see it parked outside school and, oh my God. But you look at them now and it's like 30 grand and they're a nightmare to keep anyway. I bet. Um, so I'd gone from a uh, sort of a, a, a seven, eight-year-old seeing the advert for the the Miracle album and thinking this oh, this loud music I don't like this whatever this is <laughs> to when the advert which this was used in came on TV just like I have to I would wait for it to come on yeah. and everyone had to be quiet I so I could that. watch this advert because <laughs> yeah, yeah. there was the Sierra Cosworth and the Escort Cosworth features in the advert <laughs> wow. as does the Orion as does the Transit <laughs> um, but I think what's interesting just listening to that now struck me that's probably one of the longest Brian May solos on any album yes and it's very that's an example of a really queeny brian solo so that could have been on the miracle i think that right. solo yeah it's such a good solo because it's not it's not a guitar solo it's a melody and it's actually driving the song it's not just him you know going okay after a minute and a half i play the guitar for 90 seconds yeah yeah it, everything mm -hmm. is driving that song yeah it's so good. I could oh. listen to it again and again and again. Oh. Yeah, it and was everywhere at that time, wasn't it? It was just everywhere. It was fantastic. It was a huge hit. And I think it's an example of how good stuff can come out of corporate involvement in art. Like, I don't think it's a complete no-no. He said something mm. really interesting about that element, uh, which is um, he said he'd, he'd been previ previously been reluctant to get involved with uh, writing music for commercials and then he said the advertising agency approached me and asked if I'd ever done anything for that medium I said no I've never wanted to I had this idea at the back of my mind that it was all a dirty word pure commercialism selling out really I was persuaded to give it a try though and discovered that it was all really very much above board. I worked on the song and the advert in parallel, and the interesting thing is that the song meant one thing to me and another thing to the agency people. I was really stimulated by the way that advertising people work. I mean, they're so quick. I delivered them a version of Driven By You, and it was on the television commercial the next day! Ah. <laughs> Which is well, I think awesome. it's like, 
It's like with any involvement in adverts, if what you do is good, if it's of good quality, mm. so like there's loads of fuss about comedians doing adverts because people think it's like selling out as if they've never charged for a ticket before. But if what you do in that advert is funny, if you have sort of committed and have a bit of ownership and auth- authorship of mm. that mm. thing, mm. like Peter Kay in those John Smith's adverts is funny. Mm. You know, Jack D in those adverts is funny. So it kind of fits. It's if you're sort of trying to have it both ways and distance yourself from something whilst also taking the money that it's it's awkward and a bit eggy. Mm. But mm. if it's a great song and a great advert, it mm. works. The adverts were mm. amazing. Mm. Yeah, and it was released... Very, well, let's talk about the release a little bit. Uh, Simon, feel free to jump in on this bit. Mm. Um, uh, so it was released as a single. So... The sort of first signs of life. I'm kind of I'm using a little bit of Queen Peavy here, but basically, um, uh, when the Ford company started uh, airing these commercials um, uh, with this song that sounded a lot like Queen, fans were apparently completely outraged. I sort of have a memory of kind of going, "What is that? I know that. That is Brian's guitar. I'm sure that's Brian's guitar." Um, <laughs> uh, and they wondered who this imposter was trying to sound like Brian. And inquiries were made. It was discovered, indeed, it was a new song by Brian. Uh, and knowing when to capitalise on a moment, Queen's management pencilled in a single release date for the single for the November the 25th, 1991. However, that would coincide um, with Freddie's passing on the 24th of November, which is very, very sad. Um, uh, now, Freddie, when he was told about this, he reportedly said, um, tell him to release it. What better publicity could he have? <laughs> Oh. Very, very sweet, very heartbreaking, <laughs> but so great. Um, oh. uh, uh, and they delayed it by a week, so uh, it got to the uh, UK charts um, uh, in uh, around the fifteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth of November of December, um, and it got to number six in the UK. It got to number nine in the US as well. Do you want to hear what was in the top ten uh, uh, the week of the twenty first of December, nineteen ninety one? Mm. Uh, okay, I think we have talked about it in this very season, this exact top 10, but let's see if you guys uh, will get ahead of me. So, at number 10, We Should Be Together by Cliff Richard. At number 9, Don't Talk, Just Kiss by Right Said Fred. Eight. Oh, wow. Right? Those guys. Right Said Fred, the lockdown, the anti-lockdown deniers, Right Said Fred. <laughs> They're now like but they're now like band. proper douchey sort oh, of no. um, yeah. anti-lockdown oh, guys, no. which is so weird. Very odd. Well, speaking of, of, uh, in a similar theme, number eight, Black or White by Michael Jackson. And number seven, Too Blind to See It by Kim Sims. And number six, Driven by You by Brian May for the second week in a row. <laughs> yes, sir. Number five, Live and Let Die by Guns N' Roses. Tune. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Real tune. Mm. At number four, uh, When You Tell Me That You Love Me by Diana Ross. At number three, Justified and Ancient by the KLF and Tammy Wynette. Also a tune, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But yeah. At uh, number two, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me by George Michael and Elton John. Tune. Massive. Massive. Anyone got any ideas what was at number one? Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. And these are the days of, of our lives by Queen. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That was the year. That was the uh, year we won the charts. We won the charts in yeah. many ways uh, <laughs> that year. So fantastic stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, amazing, amazing stuff. Simon, what's your relationship with Driven by You? 
Well, it's funny you've you summed it up perfectly because I was absolutely one of those people who I heard this song first on the telly on the advert and went, ah, okay, got a Brian May sound alike, have you, to do your advert? <laughs> Um, and then that quickly changed to well done guys for getting Brian made <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 yeah. I'm going to buy a um, Ford as soon as I can brand you could trust exactly obviously. yeah you, those guys they know what's good for them um, I'd love to know yeah. there was a, a, a peak in Ford sales over that period I bet there was there must have oh, been bound to it was the coolest advert on at the time for sure it was um, and yeah and, and I had heard that story about Freddie you know saying I'll tell him to release it you know it will yeah. be fine. you know what it will boost the sales which is yeah. this is very freddy um but i like yeah it, how great you can untangle it from the fact it's about selling cars and it it, it stands on its own as a song with with it other does. meaning so it does um, it does yeah and I, so yeah. I think that quote from brian that it meant one thing to him and another thing to the advertising company yeah uh, it's a win-win um but yeah, the guitar, the guitar sellers on this album are incredible throughout. But this is what unchecked Brian is like, and um, and what's not to like about that. And I, I, I yeah, I'm I'm grateful that John stopped us from stopping that halfway through because we just <laughs> want to keep going. Um, but that is, you know, go listen great. to the whole track, guys. Just yeah, yeah. go listen to it. It is joyful. It's great for bouncing along to. Uh, lockdown, mm. hopefully, is kind of easing off for a lot of people. Um, and if it isn't too risky, it is nice to go for a drive, listen to that uh, within your local area, or just have a little trot around the park. Why not? Um, it is good, good times. Uh, all right, well, that's the first half of the album done. Not bad. Not bad. Wow. Not bad at all. Um, but uh, I thought we'd take a little break now and have a little love of our lives. <laughs> All right, so this one uh, is from Daniela Becker. I'm going to pronounce it. I hope I'm pronouncing that all right, Daniela. Uh, And this is a lovely uh, email we got from Daniela. Uh, Dear Suze, Rohan, John, uh, Simon and producer Giles, I just wanted to say that this podcast is an absolute delight. I'm enjoying it tremendously. I really, really hope that it isn't just a lockdown-related thing and you'll still go on with it, even if the pandemic is hopefully soon over. We hope so too. (laughs) (laughs) We really do. Um, I'm a relatively new Queen fan of about two years. No, it wasn't the film Bohemian Rhapsody that brought me here, at least not directly, but the increased attention it created for Queen, I guess. Up until then, I was some kind of average music liker who had no particular preference and only knew a couple of songs from different bands and only the singers or front persons of anyone at all. It was the same for Queen. Shame on me, he put in capitals. Guess it has to do with being a late bloomer in about everything. Oh, bless you, Daniela. All right, strangely enough, it took finding out about the other three members besides Freddie to get me absolutely hooked. I was electrified immediately about how awesome they all are, but never in my wildest dreams did I expect to be blown away as much as I was by their back catalogue, which took some time to take in and fall more and more in love with. As time goes by, I'm drawn more and more to Queen 2, as many of us are, (laughs) which might end up as my favourite album. They made me appreciate music in general much more than before. I even started to learn guitar, and I found out about many other awesome musicians, mainly from that era. But after all, nothing compares to Queen. Given that I am a rather shy person and I'm getting close to the point where I've spent more time as a Queen fan in the pandemic than out of it, I haven't really connected with other Queen fans much yet. Therefore, it feels so good to listen to people who are obviously every bit as crazy about the boys and their music as I am. 
Feels like home and never feels, fails to bring a smile to my face. I was especially moved by the reports of your fondest memories connected to Queen in episode zero. I also like that you seem to be about my generation in that I was born in 1980. <laughs> okay, that's generous of <laughs> you, <wish>. Daniela. <laughs> Therefore, thank you so much for this and keep being every bit as nerdy about Queen as you are. Love, Daniela from Germany. Oh, oh. Gesundheit, tight, Daniela. Yes, um, that is very, very cool. Uh, and I, I, I just thought I'd share that because you know we are in this very episode looking at uh, Brian May, who is one of those three. <laughs> and you sort of start to realise the man, the man's contribution is absolutely enormous. I mean, every bit as big as. As, as, as Fred and I think John and, and Roger do the same thing I'm also rather taken by the fact that you're kind of that thing that you said about having spent more time in the pandemic as a Queen fan out of the pandemic <laughs> you know and uh, you cited uh, episode zero which is something that we recorded this time last year do you remember that guys mm-hmm. M- months before we got into series we did it almost as a test little episode trying out the zoom and all that kind of stuff um, and so that sort of brought us a nice full circle for me um very very lovely so thank you for sharing daniela um you know guys there are queen fans ready to become queen fans out there uh, go recruit just just march out and and tell people uh, to play queen loud um or you'll lick their face all right so <laughs> let's, um, let's let's get back to the workshop oh i'm supposed to say a thing do you know what you can email us queenpod at the uh, f- with your own little take on why you're a Queen fan, whether you have a seven degrees of rye, perhaps, that you want to share with us, anything like that. Next week, we're doing a fan special to round out the series. And so now is the time to get in your questions that you want us to talk about, any teasers you have for us, any opinions you want us to share. Now is the time. All right, let's get back <laughs> to the work uh, and listen to uh, Nothing But Blue. Lovely change of pace uh, halfway through the album. Absolutely gorgeous. Now I've got brownie points available. Cozy's on the drums. Don Airy's on the keyboards. Who's on the bass? It's John Deacon. It's John Deacon. The point goes to (gasps) John. It's Johnny Deacon. Yes, yes, it's Johnny D. Jumping in. 
Here he is. The Deke Meister. The General. Do you think anyone's ever called him Johnny D before? No. Or the Deke Meister. I have. What about Deacon John? Ah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so this is uh, the only track on the album that does feature, as far as I know, that does legit feature uh, another member of Queen. Uh, and it is always, always lovely to hear. And it kind of elevates the song for me a bit, actually, knowing that John's doing Strong that bass. bass work. And mm. it's lovely yeah. bass. And, you know, you're getting that change of pace. And I was just getting into all the rocking. Uh, but uh, Brian does the blues so well. Um, and having John join him is, is something absolutely lovely, isn't it? Mm. Uh, again, based on an instrumental guitar version called Somewhere in Time on Cozy's 92 album. The drums are back. If you want to go check that out, you can find it on YouTube and stuff like that. You know, it's all out there. It's all out there, guys. <laughs> uh, all right, Suze, <laughs> what do you think of Nothing mm. But Blue? we got some drama in 6-8, boys. Is it? Ooh. Yeah, we had some high drama. Um gorgeous chords it had a little bit of a pink floyd oh yeah sort of air that sort of comfortably numb type yeah vibe. those chords are stunning i will be thieving them <laughs> <laughs> no one will know no one will know so. nobody will know where i stole them from unless they listen to this podcast oh, yeah. uh yeah i it's just a um a really interesting song to include on this album yeah i think yeah. we have a quite a, a very eclectic mix on the album. That's true. As always, that's the Queen element, though, isn't it? They are, that they is, are always yeah. eclectic. It's nice to know that as individuals they're eclectic as well. John, what would you like to say about Nothing But Blue? Well, I, I think this is one of the songs in the album that's got a slightly Made in Heaven vibe, especially to the opening. That sort of right. winter's tale, yes! heaven for everyone kind of sparkly vibe. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a yeah, good observation. Really like it. Yeah, it's very much of that era. Well, do you know what? I... I I think uh, it is time uh, for someone to uh, uh, guarantee that he will blow your mind because it is time for a quick Simon Says! I did that so elegantly, Simon. Welcome. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's the best one I've ever done. Um, Yes, well, a little tree for it. A time of of recording... um, we don't we don't know exactly what this revised package of uh, of back to light is going to involve i think it's still being worked on and finalized but i imagine that somewhere in the mix there will be um some alternative versions of these tracks that we're talking about and there is an alternative version of nothing but blue that was released um alongside uh one of the, i think it was back to light as a cd single um and it taps into what you were talking about earlier on about how Brian says that this album is is not just about him as, as a guitar player, but how he how he likes the guitar to to almost be a voice in, in the mm. work that he does, and it, and mm. that he can make it sing almost. Mm. And we've seen that in Queen songs, but it's really present in this album. And there is a beautiful version of Nothing But Blue, where rather than him singing the lines the guitar sings oh the wow lines. so it's not an instrumental uh, as in they've just taken the vocal track out and this is the backing track this is a version of the song with the guitar doing the singing and um oh, I, I thought this. we could share that today
shadowy. <laughs> yeah. John, how does he do that? Because uh, yeah. we've talked about how Freddie can sort of make notes almost sort of blur into one by sort of sliding down a scale. Some of those notes, you can feel them merging into one with, with how Brian... How is he doing that? Mm. Well, you, you can tell the quality of a good... My guitar teacher said to me, the, the best way to work out if someone's any decent is to listen to the quality of their bend right so that's when you that's when you pluck the string and then you bend the string to move the note up and down and brian's really really good at that and there really is nowhere to hide because if you get that wrong and it's all done through sort of feel and ear so you can like you can hear guitarists who maybe aren't that good because you can improve it because you can almost pretend it was meant to be a bit flat and then bring it up because it resolves itself. It's kind of fine to the ear. But to hit them sort of first time, and obviously this is like a recorded in a studio, yeah. so you get to go back and do it again. But it is it, the clarity of those bends and the fact that he is sort of double tracking a little bit there, I think. Mm. So there's... I'm pretty sure there's he's playing sort of against himself to get that really full sound. But it's something he does on... Um, if you listen to two of my favourite Brian guitar moments, uh, which may or may not feature in our next episode, mm -hmm. which is Bijou and yeah. Days of Our Lives, ah. mm. yeah. those solos are so clear mm. and so beautiful. Mm. And like we've said before it's not just someone soloing. He is telling a story, especially on Bijou. That, I mean, to make a guitar heartbreaking on its own yeah. is, a, mm. is, a, is a rare skill. Yeah. I mean, you can make it sound cool and sexy and mm. fast and mm. impressive, but to actually be quite emotional just with a guitar solo isn't easy. Um, and yeah, so I'd, I'd say that's how he's doing it. I mean, also the, the sixpence helps as well because it... It just makes that when he strikes the because it's metal on metal, it's such a clear sound, and he can also use it to make it sort of gruff and rocky. But when he needs to do those little pinched harmonics, which he does in um, in uh, uh, Days of Our Lives, it's mm. it's pretty something. Wow. That is a lovely bit of analysis. Amazing, amazing. Uh, not just uh, good advice for uh, music, I feel good advice for life. So, uh, let us move on to I'm Scared. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's called the karaoke, the chaos karaoke section. Uh, and uh, I think you all heard that time how scared he is of Stephen Burkoff. And the things he is scared of in that section is so full on. I'm not actually going to share all of it because it's too, it gets too scary. Um, but, you know, uh, there's obviously things like um, uh, I'm scared of pain because there might be. I'm scared of being burnt. Uh, I'm scared of being found out is the sort of the last thing that he's scared of. I'm scared of disappointing. There's all kinds of, and they're, they're all very resonant things to be scared of. And it's almost, uh, for me, a, a slightly silly song musically. Um, and yet the lyrics of it are so potent. And I don't know, he was singing this stuff at a time where I don't think mental health was quite in the zeitgeist in the way that it is now. And I think he was pioneering a lot of that kind of messaging, really. Well, I think, like you said, for even that interview earlier, that that sort of openness of artists about creating stuff through struggle is much more sort of common parlance today, which is a great thing. But that interview from 92 or 91 that you played earlier, you wouldn't often hear musicians talking like that about no. their work and their, their personal feelings. And this song feels like the result of... He, he talked about his therapist... I wouldn't be surprised if there was some, like, exercise where the therapist had gone, okay, make a list of everything that frightens you, <laughs> right, and don't yeah. worry how silly it is, and you don't have to show anyone, and you can tear it up after you've finished. And it, it wouldn't, it's not un, un, sort of impossible that that is where this song started, yeah. because yeah. it's such a, it is funny, and it is quite light, but a bit like Love Token, there is a personal story going on in, in the lyrics. Yeah. And I think it's great. It must have felt such a release to sing this. Mm. Yeah, of course, of course, mm. of course. Suze, do you resonate in the same way? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, re I really wanted to be an actor and I really wanted to go to drama school, but we didn't have that kind of family money. So I spent three years trying to get in after I'd done my degree to different... Um, drama schools figuring I'd pay for it and it took me three years and then I finally got in um, and in the first week we had a meeting with a guy called George Hall who is in his mid-90s now and uh, at the time he was merely in his mid-80s <laughs> and he was the head of acting at Central for 20 years and then he came to the Royal Academy of Music and was teaching there and we all had to sit down and we had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with him and um, I just started crying in this meeting within about a minute and went I'm just really worried that the people on this course are going to find me out and he went he went oh yes okay well a friend of mine uh who I spoke to six months ago she said George I'm always only a week away from everybody finding me out and that was Judy Dench oh. <laughs> and that's what that song made me think right, of earlier it's right. like Brian May shouting at the end of that I'm scared of being found yeah. out um, uh, so yeah it shows he's not a psychopath I guess years and years ago <laughs> Mr Lupton gave me my first shot at producing a bit of telly and uh, god it was a while ago wasn't it Simon but um, yeah uh, the one bit of advice that you gave me that really stuck with me was you, you put me to one side and I was just like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. I'd only been a researcher or an AP or something. And uh, and you went, don't worry, we're all terrified of being found out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, oh, right, OK. And it's just like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, imposter oh, my God. Syndrome, Anyone right? who's not scared of the fact that someone might find out they're winging it is surely some kind of 
crazy yeah. dictator. That's the big expose. <laughs> Absolutely everyone yeah. is swinging it because we've all been given the same number of days to <laughs> around in. So we're all winging it and no one's marking your paper. No one cares what you do. <laughs> Just get on and do what you want to do and uh, and uh, uh, and uh, make an impact that way, right? Yeah, I was only in my 80s when yeah. I gave you that bit of advice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let us move to something akin to Bijou, a sister to Bijou, if you would like. Um, this is a legit guitar solo, the only legit instrumental guitar solo. Just Brian and Mike Moran on the keyboard. Um, let's listen to a couple of minutes of Last Horizon. You know, I'm, I'm so glad we decided to do this album today. I'm really enjoying this. This is so lovely. It's taking me right back to my pudding place. I'm, I'm very, very happy. That is such a beautiful guitar tone, is it not? Kind of like he has on Bijou, I thought, John, as well. He has that beautiful sort of clean solo tone that you were talking about. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly of that... like. It, I think you're right in saying it's like a sister song to Bijou, whether that's intentional or not. For me, it doesn't quite have the emotional... It's not as emotionally charged as Bijou because that... I mean, this is how much me and my first girlfriend were into Queen and Brian May at the time. Mm. She actually got me a silver bracelet with my Bijou engraved on the back. Um, uh, Do you still have it? I, it's in a jewellery box I made her in DT in my mum's house. Oh, okay, fine. Um, so, but there's two little bits in this song, which because it's Brian sort of coming with his locker of guitar tricks and scales he uses, which are sort of out of Queen songs, totally accidentally. So if you listen to it, there's there's like a four-note run, which is just out of Dreamer's Ball. Right, and right. And the guitar... The, 
the song it reminds me most of is the guitar solo from uh, It's a Hard Life. So it's a similar, it's probably a similar scale or a similar key or whatever. Um, So that's what it reminds me of. And it's a nice little sort of palate cleanser on the album, I think. Yeah, I always found it a lovely, peaceful little moment. But, uh, you know, Mm. maybe it's a little bit of its time. What do you think, Suze? I love the sound that the guitar is making. It really sings. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's earned the fact that there's no vocals on the track because right. the guitar uh, speaks for itself. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Simon, anything to say on this? Yeah, I, I've I've loved it. I really like it, and I love the way that he's he's adopted it now as a sort of a regular in in, in the live work. So if you go and see Queen and Adam Lambert, uh, yes, he it has. features very heavily in his guitar solo, and yeah. I, I think you know. That stems back to when they were working with Paul Rogers as well, and they did it. And there was a lovely moment where you know the glitter ball would come down, and you'd, you'd yeah. feel like you were being surrounded by stars. And Brian's there at the end of the thrust, oh. and you know, noodling away on it, and making it just sound so Brian, you know. And mm. so it's it's a lovely live moment as well. So it's very uh, soothing. Very where I think, it. yeah, yeah. I, it's yeah. very I'd soothing. Interested. Where maybe Bijou is more haunting and evocative and mm. heartbreaking. Yeah, think, John, you know. I'd be interested to see if he does go back to this track. What he does with it, because I think if a part of it is dated, it's not the guitar. I think the guitar sounds amazing. I think it is the sort of that that backing i don't know whether it's electric what is that backing it doesn't feel like a bass it's keyboards but oh, the, no, it is, the i think dum, it's him on the, the bass yeah. that bit i wonder if that might be changed because it for, for some reason i feel that doesn't quite fit with the guitar because like the guitar is soaring <laughs> and it's almost like that slightly plodding synthesized bass i think perhaps holds back the guitar a bit well, Brian, is fair to say? Brian is certainly playing guitar, bass, guitar, keyboards, and drum programming, and Mike Moran yeah. is doing additional okay. keyboards. So maybe it is just the program nature of the drums, mm. possibly. It's being and, and that's that's the problem with el- electric music. That's why sort of the eighties has such a bad reputation, is because the technology keeps it at a time. Whereas if you play a note on a guitar in 1960 and you play a note on a guitar in 2020, the note's the same. There's no real difference. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, a complete nerd might tell the difference between two different amps, but you can use the same equipment. Whereas to get a 1988 synthesizer sound would put you so much in that year Which is why when you listen to certain 80s music, not Brian or Queen, of course, <laughs> but it sort of feels 80s. Scritty, politi or whatever. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, let us get uh, on to a track that is a little bit more along the lines of what I think you're talking about, John. Uh, a, a, a lovely um, folksy track called Let Your Heart Rule Your Head. Let your heart, 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 let your heart. 
<laughs> oh, I'd have loved to hear Freddie tear this one up. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I'd have loved it. I'd have loved it. Playing live with a tambourine, it would have been great. Uh, this really reminds me of songs like 39. That's mm. fair to say, isn't it? This is a mm. good old Brian May wheelhouse track, I think. Go on, Suze. It's a real kneeser, <laughs> isn't it? It's a lot of fun. Brian, uh, I think more than any other member of Queen, he he loves Americana. He does. Um, yes. Doesn't he? Now I'm here. <laughs> he likes and... American yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves yeah. to. Um, he loves to. I think that that first tour of America where they were um, going around quite pretty fresh faced. You know, yeah. it's quite early yeah. into the band's success. Uh, Must have really been an eye-opener for him and he wandering he around with peaches for the day yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah 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 so yeah i feel like this is a good old slice of brian may americana yeah yeah you know you're right fat bottom girls all these amazing tracks that we take for granted they're very um sleeping on the side yeah of course yeah this is very much in that in that vein simon yeah i i absolutely i think this is this is Brian's nod to those tracks that he loved listening to when he was growing up, you know, and listening to on the radio, as well as building a guitar with his dad. He also built a radio as well, which had headphones on so he could. Oh, really? He could, yeah. Um, so that was another project that he did with his dad. Oh, wow. So I just imagine him listening to stuff like this on main radio and stuff. And yeah, I mean, we've this out. This album is quite eclectic. It's perhaps not as eclectic as a, a Queen album, which is fair enough because mm. that's four people. This is a quarter of that, but it's still Brian showcasing lots of different styles of what mm. he's into. Mm. Um, and you're right, it's a knees up. My knees were up. <laughs> the track was originally intended for a 1988 Lonnie Donegan album that never happened. Oh, oh, imagine that. Is it really? Well, it's okay. weird, like because of. Like the music I listen to that's current, which isn't a great deal, <laughs> but is a mostly Americana and sort of alt folk. Right. And weirdly, because of that, this song, listening back to the album, felt the most contemporary because, and I never thought I would find any kind of connection between Brian May and Bonnie Prince Billy. But when I listen to this, I can just see Bonnie Prince Billy playing this with a sort of his, one of his more upbeat bands. And I really, really like it. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have any of that electronica that you're talking about that dates it in any way. Yeah, it's it's much mm. more sort of grassroots. It's it's jazz band, of... yeah. Mm. Wonderful stuff. Well, we've only got two precious tracks left on this album. Uh, and this one, I absolutely adore. The tone of Brian's guitar on this is exceptional. So let's listen to Just One Life, dedicated to the life of Philip Sayer. Through the faces 
Beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, an acoustic guitar that he plays beautifully, I'm guessing. I don't know much about guitars, but that can't be the Red Special. I do know that Brian's doing all the music on this track. Um, and I find it impossible to listen to without thinking of Freddie and <laughs> bursting into tears mm-hmm. and remaining in mm-hmm. tears for the duration of it. Um, although it is actually dedicated to an actor called Philip Sayer, um, who I think must have just been like, he was in like. I think there was a film called Extra, which was like one of those sort of 70s, Blake Seven era type, you know, British sci-fi films or something. But there must be some connection that Brian had to him. Um, uh, Sayer died uh, of cancer, sadly, in 1989, just at the age of 42. Um, and uh, Brian, who'd never met the actor, attended a memorial service and wrote this wrote this song as a tribute. I wonder if... Um... Anita Dobson knew him. Oh, maybe. And it was through maybe, her. Maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, could have been. Yeah, good point. Um, so, very, very beautiful, very, very beautiful song. Um, mm. uh, go on, Suze. This crept up on me. It started, and I, yeah, it's one of those songs it starts, you go, oh, okay. Then by the end of it, I was like, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> 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 it is. I, I, I did that. I had the same. Yeah. Um, thing where you just can't help yeah. thinking about Freddie yeah. um, and in the same way as they say oh no one but you is about several people you can't listen to that without thinking of Freddie of course so yeah and we're all going to project onto a song about loss like this you'll project on your own loss yeah, for sure into a song like for this, sure so, well this is yeah. exactly what Simon was saying at the beginning of the pod which is this album is full of light and shade right we're just coming off of yeah. this big you know jug band fun country bumpkin type bumpkin country mm. tune into this beautiful mm-hmm. ballad and then we're going into a, a brilliant small faces cover um go on john mm. it's just the tone of the guitar reminds me of those um gigs he did with Kerry ellis by candlelight mm. you know those ah. they he has a sort of similar sound at those and a similar I sort of vibe miss that what's that about he did candlelit gigs with kerry yeah that sounds gorgeous were you there yeah um no i oh, <laughs> you didn't get tickets i just, i had the i had the option to go and i there would have been something else on which it's one of those things where looking back you think the hell did you not go because you were doing that for but at the time it would have been some podcast recording or something oh, and you okay. and you just sort of think oh i can't make that because i'm working and you think you idiot <laughs> actually this this album came out when i was at um university and i'd been set the task of because uh, i was doing media production i had to do a short radio play because it was to sort of demonstrate our ability to use the audio recording equipment, and I can't this is exactly. Down in Bournemouth, right? 
Yeah, Bournemouth University, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't remember exactly what the piece was about. It would have been something incredibly pretentious, obviously, because I was a student. Um, I remember thinking that this song would be the perfect opening to my piece because it it said it sort of encapsulated what i was trying to get across in the in in the uh the writing so i put a big chunk of it at the beginning and um before it was sent off to be marked i remember my tutors listening to it and going i think this is really good yeah this is fine i just cut the song at the beginning because it's just way too long and i went oh okay and i went away and i just i couldn't because it, oh. it was brian so i I lost quite a few marks, eh? Because oh, no. it, it, well, because okay. I just ignored the tutor who then marked it. Yeah. Like, well, you didn't listen to any of my advice. But also because it was way too long. I mean, anyone, if that had been on the radio, <laughs> anyone listening would have gone, it's just, he's just playing a song. I'm not listening to this. So he was right, but I just couldn't because it was too good yeah, a Yeah, but he was also wrong. Like, mm. It's well, irrelevant how long the song is. It's a beautiful song. But I would have rather play. cut <laughs> the play and just played the song. Let us move on to this glorious... Um, uh, cover from the Small Faces track from the Small Faces album, the 1968 album Ogden's Nut Gone Flake. This track by Steve Marriott and Ronnie Lane. It is Rolling Over. But so in the middle of this he plays the riff from uh, Day Tripper. Does he? Oh yes, down. If you oh, listen really carefully. Yes. Yeah, he does, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. I heard yeah, it yeah. earlier and went, What is that? Yes. But I don't know whether that's from the original or whether Brian's added that himself as another little nod to Another I don't influence. think it is in the original. I had definitely had the original in my, but I can't. You couldn't. I couldn't. You couldn't hold me to that. I'm sorry, um, but uh, I don't think it is. Uh, it's just an epic version, and I'm my only regret from playing that clip because I wanted to play that bluesy open into it breaking out, which is just the most awesome bit of the song for me. Um, short of the Shaktaways, and the Shaktaways are my favourite thing on the album. What are the Sorry, what are the shaktaways? You know, you know, rolling over, shacked away. It's that a bit ah. at the back, at the back of the track. How could you have heard the song and not heard the shacked aways? Shacked away. I'm sure. That's it why isn't. I said shacked away for my own intro. For goodness sake, 
You guys all just <laughs> laughed then. Now you're looking at me. <laughs> I was being polite. Three... <laughs> Shaq Duway. Shaq Duway. Oh, he literally says Shaq Duway. Yeah, Shaq Duway. There, it's written on the lyrics. There you go. Wow. <laughs> Evidence. <laughs> well, that was a journey worth taking, wasn't it? Anything <laughs> <laughs> else to say about Rolling Over? What a great way to finish the album, eh? Yeah. Yes. Yes. He ends on a party. He does. He does. He does. He's come back to the light. Yeah. And he's rocking out yeah. to some small faces. He has left his darkness way behind. And in order to make that point gently, as the song finishes, he goes back into the dark. Yeah. yeah. The dark's never far away. No. Okay, I feel like this, uh, this has been a nice pod. I think we've done very, very well. But I'm going to move on to our very final bit. Guys, your favourite song on the album. What is oh. it? You can pick any song that you want. It's not for the Queen to the Queen. It's all right. Just your favourite song on the album. Take a second to think. Suze Kempner. Uh, too Much Love Will Kill You. Of course. You. Correct. <laughs> Simon. Well, I showed my hand earlier. I, I said Resurrection. but um, So I was sticking with that. But there are many, many contenders. I Close contenders. Say. Yeah, absolutely. But Resurrection is a badass tune. Thank you. Yes. I've got a sense what John might be. End of Ooh. side A. Everything I do, I do for this track. Oh, it's yeah. um, driven by you. Driven by you. <laughs> yeah, fair play. So I think, as uh, as tracks written by Brian, I'd go for just one life. Um, mm. But if I'm absolutely honest, my favourite track on this whole album is "Rolling Over." I just away. love it. Shacked <laughs> away. My advice Boys. is. Testament to the quality of the album that we've got four different favourite tracks. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What a joyous thing to do to have a look at a solo album. We must look at the other solo albums as well. I can't wait to look at Fun in Space with you guys, actually. That would be great. Um, next season. Yeah, absolutely. And Simon, if you do get a chance to chat to Brian about the um, Back to the Light reworking, mm. could you maybe suggest a hidden track, which is the entirety of that early Queen tape? Uh, that, he, that he slips on without even That's telling Roger. Ah, yes. Like yes. the hidden track on Made in Heaven. Yeah. 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 Roger will never know. I think we should be shown it in private and then we can tell people about it, like that, like in Grizzly Man. Yes. When he yes. listens he, and then he disturbing. just tells you. Uh, well, we'll see. <laughs> But then we could like tell everyone this should never be heard by you. You should destroy these. No, it's, it's not possible for the human ears to listen to this terrible that uh, Roger massacres the drums. Um, yeah, okay, that was my <laughs> Werner Herzog impression. Werner Herzog was that correct? Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not bad. I mean, that's that is his name, but I don't know about that. <laughs> Fair play. <laughs> Play, I'll tell you that, Suze. Um, okay, there you have it. Uh, please email us with your stories and questions. Queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. What other solo things do you want us to look at? Uh, is there more Brian May that you want to find out about? Go look at uh, Back to the Light if you uh, haven't heard it. Um, go hear it. It is a legit straight up banging album um you can send us your comments we love hearing from you at the queen pod on twitter facebook and instagram uh and we also have uh, patreon.com forward slash queen pod 
which is your opportunity to get a badge and a shout out on the pod. Uh, you get your ad free apps, usually a few hours earlier, not today, but usually a few hours earlier. Um, and our Bohemians will be getting deep to their first Q&A with us fairly soon. We have also asked you guys if you want to, uh, well, actually, that's irrelevant. Hopefully we'll have some questions from our patrons on next week's episode, our final episode of the season, sadly, um, which is uh, a fan special. Uh, but let us quickly thank you, uh, send a thank you to a few patrons. Yes, I'd like to say a big thank you to Carol Elvey and Duncan Robertson. Thanks for keeping the pod going. I would also like to thank Nick Harrison for also keeping the pod going. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> I would like to thank all patrons because your money will ensure that next time we're all wearing Brian May t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'd especially like to thank Donna Walter. Thank you, Donna. Uh, that leaves me to thank this week the Shield's biggest fan queen, uh, a.k.a. Beth Owens. Beth, if you're talking about the TV series The Shield, I am with you. Not Marvel's <laughs> Shield, The Shield, the actual badass the shield um all right please take the time to give us a star rating on your podcast platform and even give us a little review spread our little wings please if you love this show other queen fans will probably love this pod too if you think that there's someone who's maybe queen curious why not convert them get involved spread the word and above all remember to play queen loud yo whoop whoop all right i always find a little wisdom in these songs so when your whole world is sinking Come to my way of thinking and let your heart rule your head tonight, guys. It's goodbye from me, Sue, Simon, John and producer Giles. Goodbye! Bye! This has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production. Edited and produced by me, Fergus March. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you.